This is Energy Voice Out Loud, leading the global energy conversation. I'm Alistair Thomas, and welcome to our podcast. This week I'm joined by Africa and LNG editor Ed Reed and digital journalist Hamish Penman. Now, a fun fact about these two, just like Quasi Quarteng and Matt Hancock, their standing day rate is 10,000 sterling. Are we getting bang for our bucket? It's it's all about uh, it's all about a return on investment, isn't it? Uh, and I would say uh, cheap at double the price. Can you get me Boris Johnson for another 10k? That's my question. I, I think Boris Johnson seems to have a very high day rate, doesn't he? He seems to be making a serious uh, bank following his flirtation with being premier. Boris flirting um no, no, i don't know about that Ed. I mean, <laughs> speculation in this podcast certainly but i wouldn't go that far yeah, anyway okay so we're gonna kick off this week with hamish who has been taking a close look at a stark warning on north sea investment from oe uk hamish yeah my day rate isn't anywhere near as much as it is to to rent a rig at the moment so um <laughs> so i just, just put that into perspective um and yeah there might not be any of them left soon so but as as warned in said report, so first of all, um, yes, OEUK's business outlook report came out on Tuesday. It was accompanied by a launch at the P&J Live, as is customary with anything in the Aberdeen oil and gas industry. Um, and so basically, the study is a snapshot or a, a litmus test or of, a, of sentiment and confidence in the UK North Sea at, at any one moment. And if you've been following the goings on in the sector, even loosely recently, it probably won't come as a surprise to hear that everyone is as blue as a whale. Not in the smutty meaning of blue, I should clarify, in the downbeat meaning of blue. I'm glad you've clarified that for us. I was getting visions of this business breakfast. I was like, what on earth is going on? <laughs> a very, very different report. Um, but OUK warns that a, a mix of windfall taxes and political uncertainty is driving away billions of pounds of investments. Now that's cash needed to keep production levels stable, but more crucially, finance for the energy transition as well. So we've already heard um, and this is kind of one of the big findings from the report, but we have covered it already, but that, that 90% of operators are scaling back their spend in response to the energy profits levy. A number of those who have gone public, Harbour Energy, Total, Enquest, they're all up there on the sites. Um, and according to analysis, that reduction means that the UK's potential oil and gas resources have immediately been downgraded by some 500 million barrels. So now in the grander scheme of things, that probably doesn't sound like a great deal and globally it's it's really not a massive amount but it is roughly half of the uk's annual energy demands or about a year of north sea production so uk north sea accounts for roughly half of domestic energy supplies so that adds up there so ross dornan who has led the team that's uh that comes up with this annual report and has done for the last six years he said it was the most challenging and complex outlook he's come across during his time working on the study and these points around sentiment um, were very much the basis for discussion at the launch of the paper on Tuesday morning. So we heard from from David Whitehouse down at the event who delivered this this rallying cry for industry, a, a we need you sort of Lord Kitchener style message. Um, I did think about including a photo of that in my copy, but decided it might not go down too well. <laughs> I think that's a good. I think that's a good decision. Yeah, um, but the big takeaway for me, I think. Uh, was perhaps the last comment made by Arna Gertner, who is Equinor's North Sea boss. He was asked what he'd like the industry to be talking about when offshore Europe comes to town um, in early September. And his reply was FID on a Rosebank, um, Equinor's massive west of Shetland oil field. And there was kind of this visible 
sharp intake of breath almost, but a lot of people sitting up and taking notice when he said that that was the perhaps what a lot of people, and I'll include myself in that, were were waiting for him to to give at least something on Rosebank um, across the session. Now, it is still waiting for government approval of the environmental statement, and without, I suppose, trying to read too much into to what he said, one might assume that Equinor is ready to take the investment plunge shortly after it receives government sign-off. One might assume that I am not. Um, depending on when that is, they may even time that in with offshore Europe and Aberdeen. I think some last time it was in person, 2019 now, I think some of the companies did similar. Um, and just on a side note as well, the UK's myriad of homogenous environmental groups were out in central London yesterday at roughly the same time as Arna did make his comments, calling the government to, to shell Rosebank. Um, I don't know if the Arna knew that they were out and about. I'd, I'd fathom not. He's a busy man, but um, made for some nice colour anyway. Yeah, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit later in the pod about this energy security day and that. But but since we're on Rosebank, um, one of the points that's been trailed by the London media about this UK government day is uh, a potential approval of uh, of Rosebank. And, and yeah, as, as you say, uh, Hamish, as as it stands, as I understand it, uh, Opred is it's kind of shit or get off the pot uh, in terms of time for a decision on the environmental statement and approval. Um, and, you know, ultimately that's going to need the, the secretary to give assent to it too. So, you know, we'll be interested in seeing what happens with that. But, um, but yeah, maybe, maybe t- to look at the report itself, um, and you kind of highlighted the fact that a lot of this we've covered before, Right. Um, and I, looking through it, I don't know how surprised I was by some of the headlines that came in, out of it. And yet uh, it got a lot of coverage, a lot of coverage, uh, not, not only for uh, spl- splash care of uh, Hamish Pemmin in the Press and Journal, the BBC, et cetera, et cetera. Now, not to take anything away from it, is there a possibility here that we'd heard some of this before and people wanted a different story in the news vacuum? Because no one else was releasing anything because that same day, of course, we had... Hamza Yusuf stuff. <laughs> so just wanted to ponder that and get a sense. How surprising were some of the headlines coming out of this, do you think? Not overly. And I think when we saw the report initially, I did message you and say, I think we've covered quite a lot of this before, but we also need to remember that we have a fairly acute interest in uh, in what's going on. If you're, if you're a national newspaper, I don't think perhaps a lot of these things we wouldn't have covered before. And even on these kind of investicles, a lot of the questions that get asked are, Ones that perhaps we might be more aware of purely because we cover this on a day-to-day basis, but a lot of the the national news outlets, this is a a good snapshot of the, of the industry and and for their coverage of it. But from from our point of view, I don't. I, I think a lot of it we did we covered a lot of it we chatted before, and 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 a lot of it just holds with what's been said in the industry from companies for the last what, four or five months now? I don't think there were particularly um, any curveballs in there. I suppose the only thing will be that whether it changes anything and, and there was the comment made yesterday at the event that a comment was or, uh, a copy of the report was already in the post to Hamza Yusuf, so maybe he'll pick it up and, um, and run with it. Can I ask a question about Rosebank? Uh, I mean, how, how, how significant is, is, is Rosebank going to be? And, and, and I suppose also... Obviously, there's kind of that question, isn't there? As as, as you were saying about you know the sort of the, uh, the 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 pressure on governments to not approve it. Is that is that a possibility? I mean, I think obviously, I mean, I, I you know, 
somewhat remember the the sort of the, the the days of of, of COP twenty six and the discussion around Cambo. Uh, has that has that has that uh, opposition now entirely gone? Um, well, I mean, in the run up to Cambo, they did knock back the environmental statement for Jackdaw Shell's big gas project, and then. Um, we had the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the energy crisis, and lo and behold, six, seven months later, Opera had approved the project with, I don't think there'd been any tweaks from the initial environmental statement either, maybe a couple of here or there, but nothing, I don't think there was anything particularly substantial. Um, so, the, I mean, they could reject it, of course they could, but I don't, I don't think that they will. The only thing that I think could scupper the project might be in a couple of years' time when we have a general election. And depending how far along Equinor are with it by that point, and if there is a change of government, as a lot of people are expecting there there might be, then that could um, throw several spanners into the works. I think you're right, Hamish. Um, I think what would be interesting to see, I mean, Equinor has always been very bullish about, yes, we want to get ahead with this. Yes, we feel good about the government engagement. To what extent does a windfall tax price floor play in there? Um, you know... Again, we'll get onto this energy security day, but there's a possibility of whether or not a windfall tax price floor will be implemented. And is that the fact that we don't have one at the moment, is that going to have an impact on whether or not they take FID? Um, it would be extraordinary for the government to make such um, overtures about energy security and energy independence, which seems to be the preferred phrase these days, and then decide we're not going to approve it. Um, you know, they may do, they may, you know, there's environmental hurdles to pass here, but. Uh, you know they're planning to do it with electrification, um, so I don't know. And if 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 they they weren't to approve it, that would be monumental, I think. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll we will see. So um, okay, well, look, thanks, Hamish. Um, next up, it's over to Ed Reed uh, in Africa with another extraordinary tale of an executive's downfall. After this. In a world where the scarcity of key resources is starting to be felt and the impact of climate change is all too apparent, sustainable growth is no longer a choice, it is a necessity. Sustainable Growth Voice is a new online publication championing individuals and organisations that are pushing sustainable growth forward, making a positive impact on the environment, society and the economy. From innovative technologies solving sustainability challenges to social enterprises promoting inclusive growth and transformative policy initiatives, SG Voice covers the fundamental drivers at the heart of the new sustainable economy. Join the conversation that the world needs now. Visit SG Voice for knowledge, inspiration and insight from across the sustainable growth landscape. Okay, so we had uh, Eskom's CEO in South Africa cyanide in his coffee a couple of months back, Ed, but it looks like the what, the chair of Namibia's Namco are taking something altogether quite different. Yes, yes. Again, a very strange story. So uh, just 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 sort of set the scene. Uh, Namibia, obviously the sort of the darling of the of the uh, kind of exploration energy world at the moment. Those uh, those those two big finds by Total Energies and Shell early early last year, Venus and Graf, really kind of setting the world, uh, you know, kind of uh, ablaze, um, and 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 you know, attracting a lot of attention to Namibia. A lot of lot of lot of interest. In, in the particularly in the in the offshore, so Chevron's kind of piled in, Woodside's gone in, and all kind of off the back of this. And part of the appeal is that while a number of countries in Africa have, uh, you know, there are, there are kind of concerns about political risk, Namibia is kind of often seen as a kind of uh, a, as a bit of a standout. 
it has had some problems in the past. There was a, a fishing scandal some years back, but in general, in general, it, it, it seems to have kind of passed it by. This may not uh, actually be entirely the case. So um, this week, the, uh, the 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 police were called <laughs> to uh, and investigated uh, the uh, chairperson's car of Namco. Namco being the the national oil company of Namibia. Inside her car, they found um, nine hundred thirty five grams of cannabis. 60 rocks of crack cocaine and 10 grams of cocaine. I did some uh, frantic googling, not being very up on the on the drug business. He says, <laughs> <I'm> just <laughs> covering uh, myself desperately. Um, it, it, so it's about it's about sort of fifteen thousand pounds worth of drugs, I think. Um, so she was then arrested, and since then, there's 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 been a lot of discussion right so it, it, there are the kind of there are kind of, essentially there are two options right the first option is that the chair of namcor jennifer comley who's a sort of distinguished businesswoman she's uh, been involved in the banking sector she's got you know sort of a, a long pedigree behind her has become a drug dealer as that's the kind of the quantities involved or something possibly murkier should we say is is afoot and there's been a lot of discussion in namibia uh around around disputes within namcor apparently uh Comley has had a falling out with the managing director emmanuel malunga and there have been some discussions that uh malunga may have been on the verge of being suspended owing to various uh various deals that maybe he didn't get full approval for um and that there's there's been a suggestion that that there was a there's a there's a link between these these events obviously there's a lot we don't know at the moment and it, it would be rash to sort of speculate about how it's going to play out but we do know that uh Comley, uh has complained went to the uh minister of public enterprises uh, a, a few weeks ago and the minister of energy raised some concerns around unspecified unknown forces within Namcor who wished to do her ill um and 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 kind of raised concerns about her personal safety and that of her daughter and uh the the minister of of, of public enterprises has uh, asked the police to kind of carry out a a, a threat assessment for Comley so obviously taking those kind of concerns seriously there feels like an awful lot of skullduggery for vintage right i mean i i mean I, I was in i was in namibia a few years ago lovely place uh fantastic safari but not exactly a uh, a hotbed as far as i knew it of 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 uh, of, of drug dealing and uh intricate corruption so there's a lot going on uh Comley's now out on bail Quite how it's going to play out is 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 of course very much in the air, but it feels like there's a lot going on under the, on, under the surface. Yeah, wow. I mean, this this is a, a lot of intrigue. I'm curious as to what you googled to get that street value. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> streetvalue.com. Um, yeah. So uh, right, as you say, so I'm, I'm going to temper the questions here, but it sounds like there's a possibility of uh, things not necessarily being as as they seem and. Uh, I guess let's just say it is. Is there a possibility of her being framed? Do you think that's one of the things that the police are are at least 
looking at at this stage. Yeah, I think so. I think so. So, so, so Comely had uh, her her first court hearing uh, this week, a couple of days after the uh, the search of her car. She's been freed on bail. The state has did not object to her being freed. Uh, the amount that she had to pay was was less than the street value of the drugs. So it does seem that there's not um, that. They don't seem to be viewing her as the sort of the drug kingpin, queenpin uh, that she might otherwise be. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think clearly there, and and, and I think you know there are there are there is discussion of uh, of 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 the uh, legitimacy of these these charges is is being very openly discussed in in Vintook. So, I mean, I, I think, I mean, obviously, we we don't we don't, we don't quite know quite how it happened, but. There, there, there have been reports that um, she lent her car keys to a Namcor employee on uh, earlier in the week, and they moved her car. And you know, possibly, who knows, that may have been involved in 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 the planting of some drugs. It's obviously we we've really got to sort of wait and see how this kind of plays out in court, and and I'm and I'm sure it's going to be a, a really tricky one to watch. But I think it is worth reflecting on um, how you know Namibia, which is seen as a sort of a, a bit of a sort of a sleepy kind of a backwater in some ways. Obviously, with you know a lot of this excitement kind of going into the offshore, um, you know big big kind of companies coming in there are going to be these concerns around 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 money kind of flowing into the sector and i think you know obviously everyone kind of talks about you know sort of uh nigeria as the kind of the poster child of not of what not to do in terms of sort of development in africa but it it, it feels like you know clearly the sort of spigot of cash that comes with oil production can have you know pernicious results and uh, this sort of manoeuvring in Namcor is is obviously a bit of a red flag for people thinking about doing business in in Namibia. I mean, I think just you know, just to, just to sort of touch on a couple of those concerns that uh, were raised around Malunga, there was some there, there was uh, some questionable transactions around securing petroleum products last year um, that commonly uh, asked. Did describe as 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 theft to to Malunga, um, which obviously is is kind of one of those things. We, 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 we you know the extent to which we kind of cover uh, petroleum products in in Namibia is obviously limited. But I think it's it's kind of worth noting that that obviously it is big business and 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 there is clear sort of strategic uh, importance in, in in securing fuel supplies. And I think the other the other the other sort of deal that that was raised is also a kind of an, an interesting one. Namcor has has essentially teamed up with some uh, some some other companies to uh, participate in the acquisition of a stake in a block offshore Angola, which in itself is a, is a bit of a sort of a strange move for a national oil company to invest in a in another you know uh, in a sort of a neighbouring country's oil production, and. It looks like the deal was going to fall apart uh, because some of Namcor's partners hadn't come through with their deposit. Malunga asked the board of Namcor for approval to 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 raise the additional financing. They said no, and as far as we can tell, Malunga went ahead with uh, you know paying out extra cash regardless. So I think you know whether or not. Um, you know these charges around kind of commonly are borne out, and obviously you know that it's it, it, in some ways it, it feels like a, a sort of a like a sort of a bit of a sideshow. I think there are clearly uh, challenges within Namcor around uh, due process and 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 how the 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 functions of you know of, and, and the interplay of those executives and the board works. And if the board 
uh, is essentially being sidelined in the way that uh, Comely has uh, seemingly raised her concerns around, then that's clearly a concern. I mean, obviously, so so we've still had no official uh, comment from 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 Namcor. Obviously, that would, that would be good to have, and 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 hopefully that will come in in the coming days and shed some light about. You know, obviously, it it looks like they might have to kind of choose sides about who to back and who not to. Uh, that will be an interesting one to watch. And then in a couple of months' time, I suspect there will be a court hearing. So It's all go. All to play for. All to play for. Well, thanks, Ed. It sounds like we've got a couple of interesting follow-ups uh, in the pipeline there, so we'll watch that with interest. Well, next up, it's me with some party politics right after this. Scotwind was intended to drive the deployment of around 11 gigawatts of offshore wind, helping Scotland meet its decarbonisation goals and driving economic growth. Yet the auction resulted in an offshore wind pipeline three times that that was expected, and that is going to bring both new opportunities and challenges. In this first episode of the second series of Gigawaters, brought to you by Sustainable Growth Voice and Energy Voice Out Loud, in paid partnership with Orsted, we're going to explore what needs to happen for the Scott Wind project to meet its goals. Nicholas Ritchie, Development Director for Stromar, and Richard Britton, Global Head of Offshore Wind at Renantis, talk us through how we might meet those challenges and set the project up for long-term success. This first episode is out now. Okay, so we find ourselves today, as we record, sandwiched between two big political announcements. This week we had Hamza Youssef announced as a new First Minister of Scotland, and later this week, as we record, we're expecting Green Day or Energy Security Day, whatever it might be called, uh, tomorrow from the UK government. Now, will that be in Aberdeen? Word on the street is no, despite what was trailed in The Guardian, the FT, uh, at the tail end of last week. But we'll we'll go into that in a second. Um, firstly, Hamza Youssef appointed the new First Minister of Scotland, beating Cape Forbes and swiftly offering to demote her, which seems to be going down very poorly, but that's another issue for the party itself. Very much seen Hamza Youssef as the continuity candidate to Nicola Sturgeon, and by virtue of that, I think we're probably looking at continuity in policy position on energy and oil and gas more broadly. Um, now, the Scottish government has, under its draft energy and just transition plan, a presumption against new oil and gas exploration. Certainly, we saw Nicola Sturgeon voice opposition uh, two new fields like Cambo during her tenure in recent years. I think she was a bit more reserved on being drawn directly on Rosebank, if memory serves. But uh, will Hamza Youssef uh, be doing the same? I haven't seen anything from him to suggest a reversal of the policy on the campaign trail. Um, you know, certainly have, the business leaders have said to him that a presumption against new exploration would be hugely impactful on jobs in a negative way. Um, but whilst he was on the campaign trail, Hamza Youssef was in Aberdeen and much more uh, talkative about things like renewables and uh, low carbon energy. He said he wanted the northeast of Scotland to be a renewable energy superpower. And that's, uh, well, it's certainly the right words, you know, but we need companies to invest in renewables and have the cash flow to do so if that's going to happen. Energy, of course, is a reserve matter to the UK government. Um, and yeah, Mr. Youssef is saying his plans for thousands of jobs in state-owned onshore wind, solar, hydropower would only be possible in an independent Scotland. Among the bigger kind of pledges, maybe the more eye-catching ones, he wants the Scottish government to have a 10% stake in all future offshore wind projects in North Waters, which if you look at the pipeline ahead, I mean, yeah, that would be very lucrative for the Scottish government. Very, very ambitious, though, requiring 
major change. You might remember in the original Scott went, I think, I think it raised something in the region of, was it 900 million, 700 million? I can't quite recall off the top of my head. Um, you know, a 10% share of every offshore wind project to come in the future. That's a hell of a lot more than that. Um, so I, I don't know how that would play in a Scotland too, for example. Sure, you can get the acreage, but give us a 10% stake. And, you know, as an aside, we do see people saying that Scotland was an undersell, but there was a lot of, there was a lot of um, em emphasis on that in terms of local supply chain commitments rather than money straight to Scottish government coffers. So I think we need to keep that in mind. Of course, all of this, you know, stands on whether Scotland will indeed become independent. I think the divisions on the party seen in recent days for the SNP suggest that we're probably further away from that independence question than we were under Nicola Sturgeon. But that's the lay of the land for now. Any thoughts on Hamza Yusuf, guys, before we move on to this Green Day? Asking the two English blokes on independence. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, I, just no I just noticed they're the least qualified people in the world now. So I'll, I'll, I'll leap on this grenade, Ed. I suppose I live in Aberdeen. <laughs> there's, no, there's, no, there's, no, there's no right answer. It's just you, you don't win this game. You just do a little better each time. Yeah, I was surprised how close it was in the um, in the leadership contest i thought after the last few weeks then hunter yusuf was poised to run away with it but it was a pretty pretty narrow result um i have heard rumors uh, talk that perhaps he is a bit more pro oil and gas than his predecessor uh, predecessor uh, whether that's behind the scenes and and if that will translate into actual policy and, and support for the sector we'll see but i mean yes we'd all like to see um scotland and the northeast be a superpower of green energy I don't know if there are any more tangible plans as to how that's actually going to happen. If there's going to be, a, if there's going to be any difference from from what's gone before, um, but if he coming up here to to meet with local business leaders would be a a good start, and I'm I'm sure it's on his radar. If it's not, if it's not already in the diary, I have a qu I have a quick question about that ten percent stake, right? So so if he wants to sort of ten percent of the of the wind farms, is it is he is that like a like a because obviously this is the sort of thing that you that, you know I see you know in, in sort of Africa where 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 you know governments say they want you know like sort of stakes in I don't know Algeria for instance always has sort of fifty one percent stakes in in sort of fields. But so, how would it work? Would they buy into that that stake? Would 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 they be automatically awarded it? Would they change the rules? What ha, ha, what's the plan? That's a good question, Ed. It's a very good question, and I wish I had the answers. Um, but I mean, uh, look, as we've perhaps seen with other political parties, you know, uh, the SNP is not in opposition. Obviously, it's in power in Holyrood, but. You know, it's, it's often the case that it's one thing to say things when you're in opposition, quite another thing to say when you're in power. And I wonder if there's a question of it's one thing to say things whilst awaiting independence, and perhaps it's another thing entirely when independence is achieved. Now, I'm not to say that it wouldn't be possible. Certainly, it would be within their power, I think, to attain that. But in terms of how you'd go about getting that 10% share, clearly some kind of state-owned energy company would be involved in order to manage that and acquire that. Um, I'm assuming it'd be part of leasing arrangements rather than, you know, Scottish government coffers coming in and literally buying up stakes at hundreds of millions of pounds, uh, a pop probably, um, or maybe not for 10%, but you know, you, you get my meaning. So yeah, I, I think it's a, probably a question for another time, but it is a pertinent question. It'd be interesting to see how that plays out right now, as it remains theoretical, it's all a bit, um, maybe airy fairies a bit too uh, flippant, but that's maybe the way it comes across. But we'll see. I think 
what will probably become clearer in the days to come is the stance on oil and gas. But again, I think that'll probably be um, a continuity position on Nicola Sturgeon. I want to talk briefly, though, about this Green Day, this Energy Security Day, as I, as I say. Um, tomorrow, as a record, as is the way with government announcements, there's a lot changing, very fluid, lots of moving parts. As I say, the national papers trailed last week. You know, things expected on CCS, windfall tax, price floor... We've obviously been waiting on details on track two process for funding. And uh, the suggestion this would happen in Aberdeen. Now, they did say the venue could change, but it now looks like it might not even happen in Scotland. But the the messaging I've been getting is perhaps haven't even decided, and it's all very kind of fluid. Um, I've done a few phone calls with people in the industry today, and there's a lot of uncertainty on what will actually be announced, uh, certainly some kind of net zero revamp, but uh, the windfall tax, approval of Rosebank, um, people are being a bit cagey about that. Uh, a lot of uncertainty on what's actually uh, to be said. And, you know, you might argue, you might argue, yes, you know, a strong policy position for the oil and gas industry and for the northeast of Scotland to make these announcements on Rosebank plays into the energy independence line of the government and the windfall tax. But I... You do have to wonder what's going to be gained politically from that. Um, I had somebody today suggest to me that it would be just giving Ed, Ed Miliband a stick with which to beat them with. Um, that, again, maybe that sounds a bit extreme or flippant, but I don't know. The way things have been going recently, that maybe isn't too far off the mark. Um, a wee bit of nuclear, uh, CCS, uh, heat pump manufacture and supply, that seems to be the focus, what we're hearing at the moment. Um, and as I say, things could change in the next few hours, but from what I'm hearing right now, as we record in the afternoon the day before, it doesn't sound like there'll be much on oil and gas. Now, that could change. As things stand, that's the position it seems to be. But uh, we have had, in very recent history, you know, the UK government saying, oh, we're going to come to Aberdeen. Oh, we're going to engage in discussions, blah, blah, blah. And then the very last second on the day, they changed venue and perhaps, you know, think they might change what they're going to discuss, discuss, et cetera, et cetera. So, look, who knows? This is basically what I'm saying, which I appreciate isn't that helpful. But that's where we stand at the moment. It sounds like an absolute nightmare being an event planner for the UK government. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes, I think that's a fair point. But yeah, you know, I mean, I guess, I guess what we could maybe contemplate here is what if no windfall tax price floor? What if no announcement on track two for carbon capture and storage? How long does the industry just keep keep getting you know kicked down the road before something kind of meaningful and, and helpful is announced? Because obviously, I think the CCS line is particularly pertinent because you know waiting on track two funding for the Acorn project in Aberdeenshire couple of several other projects in in uh, England and and into Wales and the longer that rolls on the longer time passes without these projects and the more difficult it will be to reach net zero goals you know so that's that's kind of what's on my mind here no totally fair enough I mean how long to how long's a piece of string it feels like we've been waiting for for such announcements for a good few good few months now and what the spring budget was widely considered a letdown by pretty much everyone in Aberdeen. Um, we've still not had any more clarification on what ACORN, if any, will be getting from this £20 billion pot of CTS. And I think people perhaps, it's maybe driven by uh, longing, but when these sorts of announcements roll around, maybe get a bit carried away with themselves, thinking there's, there's going to be holistic things announced and perhaps wants are projected as as likelihoods rather than, than complete rumours. So, yeah, I'm not going to be getting ahead of myself tomorrow. I think it 
I think it could be a, a wild letdown letter yet again. <laughs> yeah. cer- cer- certainly, everyone I've spoken to today, and who have been ringing around the houses, everyone is kind of hedging their bets on what's actually going to be said and who's going to be saying it and where it's going to be said. But uh, we do have a city in mind, but I can tell you it's definitely not Aberdeen. I'm not going to say it here in case it changes, of course, because I'm hedging my own bets, as you can see. Uh, okay, so that's the kind of in-depth insight and analysis I know you all come here for Energy Voice Out Loud. So uh, with that, that is it for this latest episode of Energy Voice Out Loud. Thank you to Ed and to Hamish for joining me. I've been Alistair Thomas, and thanks for listening. Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com, sign up to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector. Subscribe to Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Out Loud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.